The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. If you haven't done so already, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 10. If you need a Bible, you can lift your hand and a volunteer would be glad to bring you one. So I'm excited just a little bit about the text before us today because this is a text that God has used consistently throughout church history to awaken his church when it is slumbering to the call he places on it. It's a text that I feel like he's been using over the past two weeks, really, because I wasn't here last Sunday. I was in South Carolina. I might tell you about why a little bit later, but I was gone uh, to South Carolina. And so for two weeks, I've been able to to just let the Lord take this text and press it up against my heart and unfold its, its implications. And as I've thought about this text, it actually has led me back to another memory in my life, back January 30th, 2007. It's had me thinking about that day. That's the day that my, my daughter, my first daughter, was, was born. And so here's the deal. On, on that day, uh, love for me was redefined in a lot of ways. Uh, Love had new heights. It had new depths. There was this new breadth to it. And, And as awesome as all of that was, I had no idea at that moment the terrifying places to which love would call me. Like parents know what I'm talking about. And probably the first little taste I got of that was about 24 hours later when Holly and I came home. Why they send you home with a new baby after 24 hours is beyond me. But it wasn't just the hospital that was crazy. It was our parents and our friends because they all helped us get home. And then they're like, see ya. And they left. And it was just me and Holly and this thing alone. And panic set into my heart. Because I'm like, Who trusts me to do this? Like, I can't properly care for a potted plant. And yet, the entire human race apparently is okay with saying, yeah, you'll figure this parenting thing out along the way. Like, how could I be trusted to raise a a child? Love was calling me to a task beyond me. Like, I couldn't do it. It was, it was too big for me. The only thing I was confident of was I, I was confident I couldn't do the thing love was calling me to do. In John chapter 10, this is why my mind has been there these past couple of weeks. In John chapter 10, the love of Christ calls us to a task that is beyond us. It's... It's too big for us. And if we're honest, the task that he calls us to terrifies us. The only confidence that we have is we are confident we can't do what the love of Christ is calling us to do. Yet, I believe that the words of Jesus in John chapter 10 are specifically aimed at. They're specifically designed to to combat, to fight against, to, to combat and to kill that mindset think that his words right here display new heights, new depths, a new breadth to his love. And that 
that love, as big as it is, I believe that we see that it calls us to something, but it doesn't just call us to something. That love indeed gives us the confidence we need for that calling. This is, this is what I want us to see this morning. Three things. I want you to see the love of Christ for you. I want you to, to see what that love calls you to, and I want you to see the confidence that love gives you for that calling. That's the plan. That's where we're going. We see these three truths unfold in John 10, verses 14 through 21. Let's begin reading verses 14 and 15. Everybody good? No one gets a fall asleep excuse today. The air conditioning is fixed, people. It's cool in here. There's no sleeping going on. All right, so let's begin verses 14 and 15. I am the good shepherd I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. So if you were here two weeks ago, you know that we've already started into John chapter 10. And, and all throughout the first portion of this chapter, Jesus has been using a metaphor of shepherd and sheep in order to describe to us the relationship that he has with us, the relationship that he has with his people. And so far, what we've seen up to this point is his emphasis has been on the loving relationship that a shepherd, a true shepherd, has with his flock. Even though that word love is not specifically used, it is all over the place here. I think we're going to see that even more explicitly today. Because today, we're going to see this love that he's been describing reach new heights, new depths. It's going to have a new breadth to it. At right here... Before we can talk about what the love of Christ calls us to, before we can talk about how it gives us confidence, we just have to see his love, period. And that's what's going on in verses 14 and 15. We see the shepherd's love for us. I want to make it really personal. This is just point number one, the shepherd's love for you. See the shepherd's love for you. Look at verse 14 slowly with me. Again, I am the good Shepherd. He's described shepherds that are not good, who devour the sheep for their own benefit. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. You see the intimate, close, personal relationship that Christ is describing. We've seen this already. If you go back up to verse 3, he talks about knowing his own. He calls them by name. It's a personal, intimate relationship. Knows each sheep, knows you by name. If you go to verse 4, it talks about how we know him. The sheep know his voice, and they follow him. It's this close, personal relationship that he has with us, this, this incredible, intimate love. But Jesus right here takes it even further. He pushes this love, as awesome as it is, he pushes it to a new height in verse 15. Look at it. He, he said he knows his sheep, and they know him, and he compares it to something. Verse 15, I know my sheep, they know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Like, think about that for a moment. How does Jesus know the Father? This is not a trick question, I promise. He came from the Father. He knows him, kind of. Sort of everything. Perfectly. Yeah. Jesus knows the Father 
perfectly. And the Father knows his Son perfectly. They know each other. We've already seen through this gospel. They know each other in and through the Holy Spirit. There is no higher love, no greater love than that which exists in the triune God, in the Godhead between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is why John will say later on in an epistle that he writes in 1 John 4, 8, he'll say, God is love within himself. And, And when Jesus looks for a way to describe the love that he has for you. To describe how the shepherd loves the sheep. When he looks for he says that love, it's like the love that exists between me and the Father in and through the Holy Spirit. Jesus is able to say that because the love that he has for us is this love. It's an overflow of the love within the Godhead. Romans 5, 5. God's love, the love that God has, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The very love that Jesus shares with God the Father through the Holy Spirit, the greatest love there is, that's what's been poured out into you through the Holy Spirit. It doesn't get higher. Like that's the highest height of love for you. I got no more superlatives to describe it, people. That's it. That's the top. There's no greater love for you to share in. But that's not all. Jesus doesn't just show us new heights of this love. He also shows us new depths. Look at the end of verse 15. The end of verse 15. Jesus says, And I lay down, down, deep, depth, I lay down my life for the sheep. How deep? How deep does the shepherd's love go for the sheep? As deep as the grave, apparently. Down to the depths of the bottom. Jesus himself will say later on in this gospel, in John 15 and verse 13, he'll say, no greater love is there than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. He's like, this is the deepest love that you can get, that somebody lay down their life for somebody else. And right here in John chapter 10, Jesus says four different times that he lays down his life for you. John 10 and verse 11, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Verse 15 that we just read, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I think Jesus wants us to get the point. The shepherd lays down his life to save his sheep from death. That's what a shepherd does. Just like a shepherd lays down his life to save his sheep from death, Christ has done the same. Why? What danger were we in? Isaiah 53 and verse 6. All we, like sheep, gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. We need a shepherd. We've gone astray, turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, on Christ, on the Messiah, the iniquity, the sin, the turning away of us all. Every single person on the planet, all of us, we are like sheep. 
Isaiah the prophet says, sheep who will wander off without a shepherd, and we have rejected our shepherd in favor of going our own way. We reject God in order to try and be our own God. We reject him as king to try to be our own king. That's what sin is. Like, sin is not lying and stealing and being obnoxious to your parents. I won't call any children by name. Or having a bad attitude with your children. I won't call any parents by name. This is what sin does. These are sins. But they're symptoms of the root sin. Sin at its core is a rejection of God as my king to put myself on the throne in his place. All we like sheep have gone astray, rejected, wandered away from from the shepherd. And like a wandering sheep who falls into a pit and dies, that's the end result of sin. We've wandered away from the shepherd. It will lead to death. The only result that sin can have is death. But Isaiah the prophet says that the Lord... God Almighty has laid on Christ all the sin, all the turning away, all the he has taken everything that could lead to our death and he has laid it on Christ. Like a shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, Jesus took on our sin, took on the death that it deserved on the cross, died in our place. There is no deeper love than this. Romans chapter 5 says it most poignantly, most beautifully, most powerfully. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and 8. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't wait for me or you to get godly. To like clean up, get our act right. No, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For One will scarcely die for a righteous person. Like, that's rare enough to find. Though perhaps for a good person, one might even dare to die. Okay, the person's really good. If they're worth it, maybe somebody will die for them. But God shows his love. His love's deeper than that. He shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see Oh, how deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. He takes us and he makes us his sheep. His treasure. His, his beloved. Do you see the depth of the love of the shepherd for you? Do you hear him calling you by name right now? Through his word. Do you recognize this? That's the voice of my shepherd. I want to follow him. Will you follow him? That's what his love does. It beckons us to follow. His love calls us somewhere. That's what we read up in verses 3 and 4 last time we were together. That he calls to his own his own recognizes what, and they follow his voice. He leads them out. His, his love beckons us, calls us to follow him. That's what we're about to talk about. We're about to talk about where his love calls us to follow him. And here's the deal. Everything that we are about to see, we're going to run a risk of it making you feel guilty if you look at it wrongly. This This is not about feeling guilty. It's about feeling love. His love beckons us. His love 
calls us. This is not about being chastised or whipped to make you move forward. This is about being called. His, his love calls us to something. See it? See it with me. Jesus has shown us new heights of his love, new depths of his love, and now in verse 16, he shows us the breadth of his love. And when he does that, that's when we see where his love is calling us. Verse 16. Jesus says, and I have other sheep. That is good news for you and me. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. So Jesus is speaking in a Jewish context, first century Israel. He's a Jew speaking to Jews. He has come claiming to be the Jewish Messiah foretold by the Jewish scriptures. And so far, his sheep-shepherd metaphor, it fits with all that perfectly because the Jewish people, even in the Old Testament, were often described as the flock of God, his fold, his sheep, and he was their, their shepherd. And so all of that fits as, as a shepherd. Christ has come to the sheepfold of the Jewish people, and he's calling and out of that fold, out of the Jewish nation, among those people, his own sheep are hearing his voice and they are coming to him. They're recognizing him as the Messiah and they're following him. He's, he's gathering this flock from amongst the Jewish fold. But now, in verse 16, Christ, he lifts his eyes with the intention of lifting ours as well. He, he lifts his eyes to look beyond the Jewish fold in front of him. And he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. The love of the shepherd is, is broader than one fold, one people group, one nation. He has sheep from other folds, other nations that he says he must bring in. I think this is going to be confirmed for us at the end of the next chapter, John chapter 11. Just going to read you verses 51 and 52 that say Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Revelation 5 and verse 9 looks forward to the fulfillment of that. Where are these children of God who are scattered abroad? What are these other folds? Revelation 5, 9 tells us that Christ will die for people from every tribe and language and people and nation. See the breadth, the, the, the breadth of the shepherd's love for the sheep of the world. Do we share that love? Like, does our heart beat in time with our, with our shepherd? You read throughout the New Testament, the early church obviously is comprised primarily of Jews because it begins amongst the Jews. And the Jewish Christians had a really hard time as Christ began to call sheep from other folds, Gentiles, nations. They had a a really hard time with this idea that he was going to call them together as one flock under one shepherd. Is that not also still hard for a lot of the church? 
are there not many of us who so easily replace the Jewish people with ourselves so that we are the in crowd and everybody else is out? And it's really hard to talk about letting anybody else in. Is there not a blatant, blatant, in our faces reality of this happening right now amongst many of our brothers and sisters in this country to replace the Jewish people with ourselves, Americans, as the in people? And it's really hard to imagine that we could let anyone else in. Are we not guilty of this same thing? Do we not need to hear the same words of, of Christ? We are called, he is calling us to intentionally reach out to all peoples, not as projects, but as people. He has other sheep from all folds of every tribe, every nation, every, every tongue. And he says, I must, dei, Greek word means it is necessary. This must, it's a divine necessity. I must bring them in. The question becomes how? Like Christ, you've got sheep of other folds. Great. You've got to bring them in. How are you going to do that? He's going to do it the same way he's brought in sheep from the Jewish fold. He says that in verse 16. He says, they will hear my voice. They're going to listen to my voice. That's how I'm going to bring them in. Just like with the Jewish fold, I've called out. My sheep hear my voice. They come to me. That's what I'm going to do with the nations. My other sheep, they're going to hear my voice, and they're going to listen to it. Great. That really only backs up our question one step, because I'm still left asking, how are you going to do that? How are the nations going to hear the voice of their shepherd, Jesus, calling them? I mean, Jesus never leaves Israel, other than a short family vacation to Egypt when he was a little kid. And that wasn't really a vacation. They were kind of being chased out of town by a tyrant. But that's it. The rest of his life spent in Israel, smaller than the state of Alabama by a long shot. Alabama is about 50,000 square miles. Israel, 8,000. Jesus was not exactly what you would call well-traveled, which is really just kind of a funny thing to say. He never leaves Israel, yet he says that the nations will hear his, his voice. They'll call a sheep from all of these other folds. How? This is where we need to see what the love of Christ calls us to. Seen the love of Christ for you, the love of the shepherd for you. Now, number two, we must see the shepherd's love through you. The shepherd's love through you. Right here in verse 16, Jesus says that he must bring in the sheep from all the nations. He says that they will hear his voice. But the rest of John's gospel helps us uncover how that happens. For instance, in John chapter 17 and verse 20, Jesus is praying. He's praying for his disciples, and he says this. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus, Jesus is praying for people who are going to come to faith after he is no longer physically present 
with his disciples. And how are they going to come to faith? Through the word of his disciples. His followers will keep on speaking the gospel. People will keep on hearing. Sheep from other folds around the world will hear the gospel. And through it, they will recognize the voice of their shepherd. Jesus will be speaking in his disciples speaking. If you go to Acts chapter 1, Acts was written by uh, Luke, who also wrote the gospel of Luke. And he starts off in verse 1 and says, in my former book, in my gospel of Luke, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. In other words, what I'm about to do in the book of Acts is write about all that Jesus continues to do and teach. But then he goes on to not write about Jesus at all. But what what Jesus' followers do and teach is because that is what Christ is doing. He is speaking in his followers, speaking. How is Jesus going to, to bring sheep from all nations? How will they hear his voice? Through you. Through me. One of Jesus' final instructions to his followers in this gospel comes in John chapter 20 and verse 21. And this is what he says. As the Father has sent me, so also I send you. How did the Father send Christ? He sent him in love to sacrifice himself so that we might know him through Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. In the same way, Christ says, I send you to the world to sacrifice yourself so that the world may know God the Father through me by the power of the Holy Spirit. Just as the Father has sent me, so also I am sending you. The love of God is a sending love. For God so loved the world that he gave, he sent his only son. The love of God, it's a, it's a sending love. The love of God has overflowed to us through him sending his son and it overflows through us as we are sent by the son. The same process, just as the father sent me, so also I send you. His love is a sending love and it is a sacrificial love. Look at verse 17. John chapter 10, verse 17. For this reason the father loves me Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. If if this is the love that exists in the Godhead between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and this is the love that's been poured out into our hearts, like Romans 5.5 says, a sending, sacrificial love. If that's the love in the Godhead and that's the love that's been poured out in us, how will that love not send us? How will that love not call us to sacrifice? Like if you you pour water into a cup, when you pour out that cup, water comes out, right? Like whatever liquid goes in is the liquid that comes out. We're not talking about exceptions out of John chapter 2. Nobody go there. Like earlier, Andrew Thompson had poured coffee into his cup. And when I tried to shake his hand, it also had his cup in it. Coffee came out the cup all over Andrew. It, 
if the shepherd has poured into us a love that's by its nature is sending and sacrificial, what else could pour out of us but a sending, sacrificial love? Can we claim to have received the love of God, a sending, sacrificial love, if we don't display that love of God? It's, what we're talking about here, I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty. I want you to hear the call of the love of Christ. He has loved you with a love that caused him to leave his father's side and come for you. It's a sin love, sacrifice himself, and he's poured out that love upon you. Filled you with the same love, ascending, sacrificial love. This is the shepherd's love through us. It's what his love calls us to. We are to sacrifice our lives, proclaiming his word among all folds of sheep, all, all nations, so that all his sheep may hear his voice and follow him. That task is huge. It's beyond us. Like we talked about in the beginning. It's bigger than us. The task is, is unfinished still to this day. Um, according to the Joshua Project, I would encourage you to hop on their website. They keep track of all sorts of statistics regarding unreached peoples. According to their most recent numbers, there are still 7,000 unreached people groups in the world. That's people who do not have a sustained gospel presence among them. 7,000 people groups. If, if you go to uh, Wycliffe Bible Translators, they're a mission-sending organization that have been involved in Bible translation for forever. This is all they do, is translate the Bible in language. If, if you go to, to their page and you, you look up statistics, According to them, right now, 2017, there are 2,400 languages in which the Bible is being translated. It's not finished. It's an unfinished task. And on top of that, there are 1,600 known languages where a Bible translation project hasn't even started yet. That's 4,000 languages without the word of God. God, there are many, many sheep still to be called. And this is what the love of Christ calls us to. You, I'm not talking about missionaries who go and live overseas. This includes them too. And maybe that is you or will be you one day or something like that. I don't care if you never leave Birmingham, Alabama. Did this call include Jesus? He never left Israel. This call includes all of you. are called to the nations to shake the nations with the word of Christ, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your life has deep, massive, global impacting purposes. Never wake up and feel like your life is pointless. Christian, you exist to shake the globe for the glory of Christ. That's, that's the, the call to pour out the same love that's been poured into, into you. This is where the love of Christ calls us, but let's be honest, this terrifies us. 
task is huge, it's big, and the only confidence that many of us have is that we are confident that we cannot do this, cannot do what Christ has called us to do. And I want to encourage you by telling you that that assessment, that you cannot do what God has called you to do, that assessment is 100% correct. This is how I encourage people. Can't you see? It's my gift, my spiritual gift. I tell everybody I encourage people by discouraging them. We can't. We cannot do this. But who said anything about us doing it? Was, was not our second point the shepherd's love? We need to see the shepherd's love through us. Christ does this. He, he works through us to call his sheep. This is his love, his power, him at work, and I've got good gospel news. The love of the shepherd can't lose. It can't. This is, this is the third and final truth that we need to see this morning. We've seen the shepherd's love for you. We've seen the shepherd's love through you. Now let's see the truth that gives us confidence to fulfill our calling. Number three, the shepherd's love won't lose. In verse 16 alone, in verse 16 alone, Jesus gives us four guarantees that he, he, not us, he will accomplish his purpose to call his sheep to himself from all nations. Look at verse 16. See if you can spot all four of these. I'll just point them out. Here we go. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I have them. He possesses them. They are his. This is before they're called they're already his. Why? If you look down at verse 29, it says because the Father gave them to him. The Father who created all, owns all, he gave these sheep to the Son. If you go to Ephesians chapter 1, it'll tell you that we were given to Christ by God before the foundation of the world. He has them. He possesses them. He goes on, I must bring them in also. He must. I must bring them in. His power will bring them. He possesses them, and his power will bring them. He keeps going. They will, they will listen to my voice. They will. They will listen to my voice. His voice will persuade them. Not yours. You and your speaking, if you feel like your words are fumbling and not making sense, or you're fearful and you don't know how to get stuff out, or you can't answer all the questions, he says, it's not your voice. It's not your words. This is, he says, they will listen to my voice. His voice will persuade them. He possesses them. His power will bring them. His voice will persuade them. And finally, he says in verse 16, so there will be guaranteed, pictured in Revelation chapter 5, there will be one flock from every tribe, every people, every tongue, and one shepherd. He promises to accomplish his purpose. Four times in one verse. Do you see the rock-solid confidence that Christ is trying to build underneath your feet? Confidence to sacrifice your life as you're sent to the nations. Our confidence is the sovereignty of our Savior. He, 
His sovereignty that, that he rules and he reigns and he will do what he says he will do. He possesses his people, not us. He will bring them by his power, not us through our power. He'll persuade by his words, not us with our words. And he will keep his promises and accomplish all of his purposes. This is the bedrock of our confidence, the sovereign authority of Christ. Like, great. How can we be sure that he actually possesses the sovereign authority that he claims to have? Jesus is glad we asked. Because that's exactly what he describes in verse 18. In verse 18, he gives you the ultimate example that he is the sovereign, authoritative Christ overall. Verse 18, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. Which some of us may be saying, great, I've got that authority too, Jesus. I can lay my life down if I want to. He keeps going. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. This, in, in all the Gospels, this is one of the most sweeping statements that Jesus makes about his sovereign authority. He he wants his disciples that are right there and us, his followers right now, he wants us to know what's about to unfold in this gospel. He's, he's about, in short order, he's about to be arrested, tried, and crucified. It's about to look like Christ is anything but in control. It's about to look like everything's fallen apart and he wants his disciples and us to know that that is not so. No one takes his life from him. Like No matter what it's about to look like, no one takes his life. He's laying it down on his own authority. How can we know that? I mean, if it looks like other people are taking his life from him, how can we know that he is actually doing this in his own authority? Because he not only has the authority to lay his life down, he has the authority to take it up again, and he will do that. Christ, our Savior, our great shepherd, did not stay dead. He rose from the dead, proving that he is sovereignly in control, just like he said he was. Because he has all sovereign authority, we can do what he calls us to do. We can, we can go to the nations, knowing that, that by his sovereign authority, Jesus has sheep. He will bring them by his power, as we proclaim, his voice will come out of our voice. As we proclaim, he will persuade by his words and keep all of his promises. It doesn't matter how much you proclaim the gospel and it looks to you like it's failing. Like if you're like, Jonathan, all this sounds great, but I've tried. I've tried. I've tried sharing with my family. I've tried talking to friends. And everywhere I go, every turn I take, it fails. It fails. It fails. It doesn't matter how much it looks like the gospel is failing. Look to the cross where it looked like the sovereign plan of God was falling apart, and he was totally in control the whole time. No one takes his life from him. He lays it down on his authority. He takes it up on his authority, and he looks at you with the same authority and says, I don't care what it looks like. If it looks like the gospel is failing, it's not. Trust me. I am working in your working. I am speaking in your speaking. I have people, sheep that I possess that I will bring in. I, I, think, I think that this is why we get verses 19 to 21. 
In verses 19 to 21, we're not given new information. We know that Jesus' words have already served to divide people before. I think we get it right here, right now, to make this point. That as Jesus makes his most sweeping statement about his sovereign control, we see people rejecting, refusing him. And I think that the point that Christ is making is that the shepherd's love won't lose even when it looks like people refuse. The shepherd's love won't lose even when people refuse. Look at verses 19 to 21. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. And many of them said, he has a demon and he is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who's oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Have any of you ever heard, are you familiar with C.S. Lewis's Lord, Liar, or Lunatic argument? It's basically the idea that Jesus can only be one of those three things. Because of what he said and what he did, you can't, as the majority of people want to, just pass him off as a good teacher. Because of the claims that he made and because of the things that he did, you either have to look at him and say, that guy's evil. He claimed to be God and he wasn't. He deceived people. He's demon-possessed. Or you have to say, he's crazy. He actually thinks he's God, and he's not. Or you've got one option left. That he's telling the truth about who he is and that he's God in the flesh. That's basically what we see in this text, is it not? He's, he's got a demon. He's insane. And other people go, no, these aren't the words. These aren't the actions of someone who is insane or, or possessed. That leaves one option left. He is God in the the point right here is that after Jesus speaks of his sovereign authority to call his sheep to himself, many people hearing reject him. They hear, but they don't hear. And in the midst of this rejection, right in the middle of it, Jesus wants us to know he has other sheep. He must bring them in. They will hear his voice, and they will be part of his one flock under him, the one shepherd. That will happen. The shepherd's love won't lose even when people refuse. Does this give you confidence in your calling? Look, I'm, I know that this task is beyond us. I know that it is too big, but this is where the shepherd's love calls us. It's, it's not where guilt calls us. We're not driven by guilt. We're called by love. When my, when my daughter Karis was born, it was love that called me to the task that was beyond me. It was love that called me to, to parenting, not guilt. And it's the love of the shepherd, that sending, sacrificing love, which, which calls us to be sent and to sacrifice. How, how are you being called this morning by the love of Jesus? to make known the love of Jesus. Your life has this purpose to shake the nations with the gospel, a global Christ-glorifying purpose. And perhaps, perhaps as soon as I say that, you're like, Jonathan, that's the, very, that's, that's the very thing that makes this feel too big for me. Like that I'm supposed to shake the nations for Jesus. Here's... Here's the funny thing to me about parenting, the task that felt too big for me, beyond me. 
That big, huge task of parenting, it's actually accomplished through the very small, normal, mundane, daily things. Parenting happens through doing glorious things like changing diapers, reading stories, feeding meals. It happens through conversations. It it happens through daily correction, through laughing, through crying. It happens over dinner tables and over school books. It, It happens through the small, the mundane, the daily. You know, what's funny to me about our call to take Christ to the nations, to shape the nations, Christ glorifying global purposes, what's funny to me about this task that's beyond us and too big for us is that it gets accomplished through the small, the mundane, the normal, the daily. There's a reason Jesus chose the normal mundane image of a shepherd calling sheep. Nobody wants this job. First century Israel, shepherds are not respected and revered. They're like the outcasts of society. They don't have a glorious task. Nobody remembers their names. Nobody writes songs about them. Nobody creates sagas and stories and TV shows about the shepherds. Real shepherds of Bethlehem. Like that's not on Bethlehem nightly. He chooses something normal, mundane, because I think that's where this happens. You shaking the nations. It happens in your job. Your job that might feel pointless to you. Like, why am I doing this day after day? You're doing it to shake the nations and glorify Christ. As, As you work your job with integrity, and honesty. And even when you fall and fail, that doesn't just blow everything up. No, you admit to your coworkers that you were wrong and that you failed. You ask for forgiveness. As you live this, this way, as you work hard, not to hoard money, but to provide for your family, and then sacrifice to give for the sake of the gospel being spread to the ends of the earth. As, as you do this and people see this, you work your job in line with the priorities of God's kingdom and not your own. It shakes the nations. One person at a time. One life at a time. Shaking the nations for Christ, it happens through you stay-at-home parents. It, it happens in your faithful discipling of your children as you raise them to know and love Jesus. It happens as you change the diapers and as you read the stories. It happens over the dinner tables and the school books. You, you are reaching your children who will reach others, who will reach others, who will reach, and the nations will be shaken for the glory of Christ. It happens through prayer, through the prayers that you feel like are not being answered as you pray for those you know who are lost and you pray again and again and again. You pour out yourself and you ask God to open their eyes. Something is happening. God is at work. I'm not guaranteeing that every single person that you ever pray for will come to know Christ, but what I am saying is that there will never be a single one of your prayers that is wasted. God is at work through them. There's a a young lady by the name of Cassie who lived with my parents for about the last three years or so. Uh, Antagonistic towards the gospel, not a believer, had a really hard uh, upbringing. And and Cassie became really close with my eldest daughter, Karis. Karis loves Cassie. Cassie loves Karis. 
And when Karis figured out that Cassie didn't know Jesus, she was devastated. And my daughter relentlessly prayed and prayed. And quite uncomfortably for all of us, shared the gospel with Cassie again and again and again. So I was in South Carolina last Sunday because we wanted to take Karis to watch Cassie be baptized. He's working through a 10-year-old little girl to shake the nation. He works through you. It happened this spring through some of our college students. Who just in their normal everyday conversation shared the gospel with an exchange student, Michael Percy Pyfinch. Y'all have heard me talk about him before, from England. Last time I talked about him, he emailed me. I'm sure he will email me again because apparently he's still listening to us. And he emailed me. He said, Jonathan, use me as any kind of example. Anytime I want to encourage anybody that I can towards Christ. And can you still continue conversations with me? I want to give my life to Christ through mission work for the rest of my life. Through normal conversations, college students are at work. Shaking the nation. Be intentional in your job. Intentional with your kids. Intentional with these. This is how Christ works through you for his global, God-glorifying purposes. Even if you're called overseas. Like I think that sometimes when we think about being called overseas, whether short-term like our Cambodia team just went or whether long-term like the Nunnalies that we commissioned last year to Nepal, I think that we look at those things and we think of that as like the big, the glorious, the awesome. And if you talk to the Nunnalies, they'll tell you the truth. They'll tell you that all ministry on the ground is daily. It's normal. It's mundane. It's slow building relationships with people and sharing Christ with people. I pray that God continues to raise up people from this body and send them all over this globe. Send them to unreached people groups, to Cambodia, to Nepal, to anywhere else he may take us in order to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. But I pray that he does that through all of us, wherever he calls us, jobs, homes, schools, Birmingham, Homewood, Nepal, Cambodia, wherever that we do this. We give our lives to this call. We pour out the same sending love and sacrificial love that has been poured into us. And we watch the kingdom of God do what only a mustard seed can do. Be something so small that grows into the largest tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in it. That's a picture of the kingdom of God happening through the normal, the mundane, the small, and growing so that the nations come to find their refuge in Christ. May we be a part of of this. How is God calling you to, to confidently take the love of the shepherd to the sheep of the world?